Yeah. <laughs> it can event. Yeah. I'm in the search for peace, at least, and a better spot to settle. My brother said the Americans haven't. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show, Community Spread. I'm your host, Kevin Lundell. On the pod today, we have the Senior Associate Commissioner for Compliance and Governance of the Big Sky Conference. Her name is Janie Nadalski, and she's a good friend of mine. And we brought her on the podcast today to cover a topic that we've never talked about before. And it is about women in sports. I'm really excited about this because as this pod always is, it's about getting outside of our own learned experiences and learning from someone else's. And someone who can speak to those experiences specifically, Janie was an accomplished high school and collegiate athlete. She also has experience in the arena today with what is happening in women's sports and the progress that's making there and also the progress that is not being made there. And so we get an opportunity to hear from her experiences, learn from her experiences, and really step into uh, the world of, of women's sports and athletics. So I'm super grateful to have her on the pod today. I hope that you take something from this conversation that will help further promote equity in women's sports because our wives, our sisters, and our daughters deserve it. They deserve more equity in the arena of sports and sporting events, particularly here in Utah, where you will find out from this conversation, we have still quite a few backwards looking uh, sporting events that are occurring in even in our high schools today. But before we get to that conversation, I'm going to take a moment to tell you a little bit about what I've been thinking about and what I've been learning about. And it is at least tangentially related. So if you follow me on Facebook, you will would have seen about a week ago when I went toe-to-toe with State Senator John Johnson. John Johnson represents District 19 here in Utah, which is part of Summit, Morgan, and Weber counties. Senator Johnson had posted on his wall something that I found, frankly, just objectionable. In this post, he said that these values, quote unquote, were the key to the success of Western civilization. Among these so-called values were things like the wife is subordinate to the husband. Women's beauty is based on blonde and thin. You get what you deserve. History should be based on Northern European immigrants. No tolerance for deviation from a single God. Worth equals wealth. So we had racism, sexism, and bigotry all rolled into one post. And so I just posted it up on my wall with a screenshot and said, hey, if you find this as objectionable as I do, why don't you contact your state senator along with the link from the state of Utah as how to you know, get in touch with your state senator, John Johnson. And, um, you know, he didn't like that very much, especially since the post got shared 40 times. And I'm sure he got a lot of calls and a lot of emails. In fact, he actually sent me a personal message and, uh, threatened me, uh, with some legal action because supposedly I doxed him, which means I released his personal information, which I did not because I only posted a link to the state site as to where to contact him. But this is not about me. What I began to think about was, how does this guy, and if you go to his post, it is conservative conspiracy theory after conservative conspiracy. How does this guy represent Summit County? Those of you who have been to Summit County or know Summit County, we know that Park City and its surrounding areas is a very blue 
progressive city. And yet this guy is the one who represents the interests of Park City as a state legislature in our Congress. How is that possible? So what I did was I pulled up the map of District 19 and I looked at it and I thought, oh, well, it only really covers a little bit of Summit County. Maybe uh, he doesn't really represent the heart of Park City. And so what I did was I pulled up a, a density map of Utah and I zoomed in on Park City. And what I found was that District 19 cuts right through the most dense part of Park City and the surrounding areas. The lines did not get drawn like this on accident. What the state legislatures did when they drew up these districts was they took a city which they know is progressive and votes blue, and they divided the population base straight down the center. So District 19 takes the progressive population of Park City and disperses it amongst rural Morgan County against really conservative North Ogden and Pleasant View parts of Weber County. And guess what? That line goes right down the center of Ogden, which is also progressive and blue, and it divides Ogden into two and disperses the progressive Ogden votes amongst those other votes. This is just a math problem. They've got it figured out how to dilute progressive votes, blue votes in Utah amongst the more conservative votes so that there really is no representation for Park City in our state legislature. If you look at the other district that is includes Park City and those surrounding areas, it's District 26, which just take, scoops up a bit, of, a bit of that population in Park City and disperses it amongst rural Duchesne counties and, and other counties further to the east. This is a process called gerrymandering. And it is a process where politicians get to pick their voters instead of voters getting to pick their politicians. And the redrawing of the lines happens every 10 years, which means it's about to happen this fall. So it's the time for us to pay attention because Utah in 2018 decided that they don't like the way that this works. They don't like that politicians get to pick their voters and they voted to pass Proposition 4, which said that there would be a nonpartisan commission that would be in charge of drawing these lines. Now, the state legislature, they don't like losing their power. So when they took Proposition 4 and when they wrote it into law, they said, well, we're going to take this commission and we're going to just, you know, use that as a guideline to draw these lines. But we don't have to take the actual recommendations and make those other districts. We can really do whatever we want at the end of the day. And the only recourse we have as citizens to how these lines get drawn is public outrage. So we have to be paying attention. We have to be watching, number one, when this so-called nonpartisan commission draws the lines, are they fair? Do they look like a true representation of the population base in those cities? Or is this nonpartisan still skewed towards the more conservative aspects of our state. And then what we really got to pay attention to is do this, does the state legislature take those recommendations and write them right in and make those the districts? Or do they take those recommendations and say, I don't really like that because um, that might make my seat more difficult to win. That may, might make John Johnson's seat more difficult to win. And I bet John Johnson is not going to like that. So 
We have to be paying attention. We must, outrage level must be high if our state legislature decides to go against what our state voted for, which was we don't want the game to be rigged in these elections anymore. And if the state legislature decides that they're going to continue to rig the election, even after we voted in 2018, that's not the way we wanted the process to work. We have to let them know. So pay attention. It's coming. It's coming in the fall. And we've got to step up as a community to make sure that we get represented. And guess what? There are even laws that affect women's sports here in our state. Do you see what I did there? I brought it all back full circle so that we could have now our conversation with Janie Nadolski. Well, Janie, we're so happy to have you on the podcast today. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for asking me. You know, we've covered a lot of different topics on this podcast, but, uh, you know, I had this idea to have you on the podcast to discuss women in sports. And it was not too long ago um, when this popped up that kind of gave me the idea was when there was the uh, NCAA basketball tournaments going on. And there was this uh, woman athlete who posted a video about her weight room. And um, and then she posted about what the men's weight room looked like. And it was, it was insane. Like it was so bad. And, and it was almost to the point where I was like, that can't really, I mean, for me, I was like, ah, that can't really, that can't be true. Is that really true? And then like, it was, it was really true. <laughs> what were your feelings when you watched that? And was, did you have any, I mean, if, did you have any doubts that it was true? It was like, yeah, that's par for the course. <laughs> That's a loaded question. Well, um, <laughs> the woman you're referencing, her name is Sedona Prince, and she is a, a, a center, I believe. She's a center at, on the University of Oregon. Um, she's six foot seven. Um, she's legit. And when I saw it, I, I was kind of like, oh, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. You know, um, what's actually going on here? So then because it is my industry and I, I'm aware of how things are taken out of contest talk context. Right. That's kind of what I was wondering. Yeah. And, but I was like, well, let me, let me look into this. And it quickly became um, abundantly clear that what she posted was accurate. And, and I guess that was I surprised by it? I was not surprised that I guess I wasn't surprised that it happened. I was surprised at the, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, the complete difference between what was being offered in Indian, Indianapolis for the men's, the 68 men's team that men's teams that went to Indianapolis and what was being offered to the 64 women's teams in San Antonio. And there's so much behind that, you know, because there are, um, there was clearly you're dealing with different States, different cities, different counties, what's available. Um, you're dealing with two different budgets um, of, of what and let me, for, let me, for the listeners, let me, for the listeners, give a, a visual. So the men's, uh, like training room had 
it looked like a full like crossfit gigantic crossfit facility we had pull-up rigs we had uh free weights we had machines like it was a decked out like a gym you would walk into and be like this place is awesome and uh the the this tiktok video showed a a tree but it was like a tree of like uh it had like oh you know 10 dumbbells it had 12 12 dumbbells it had 12 dumbbells that's what it looked like and and there were there were maybe a dozen yoga mats and the the difference was stark and it was one of those things that i think a lot of women in the business were not surprised but at the same time we were very much like oh, that's that's exactly what we're dealing with but it, but it was shocking because i know the women who are in charge of the basketball um, championship on the women's side. I know them. I love them. I have a ton of respect for them. I played for one of them. I know where their hearts are. Um, I was shocked that this was allowed to happen. Um, so it was less to me about they only had this um, and more about the difference with what the men had. I mean, like maybe we only spend $100,000 on the men. <laughs> maybe give the women... I don't know, $20,000 was a I mean, we're not asking for, it has to be exactly equal because that's not what Title IX is, but it, we do expect there to be equal access. And, and that's what that is. There was not equal access. And if you want to talk about the welfare of student athletes, you can tell me that they're going to be able to maintain their strength. If the men can't maintain their strength with a CrossFit size gym, and it was a CrossFit size gym. Oh, yeah. But you want the women to maintain their strength. And, and keeping in mind that there are 15 athletes on a women's basketball team. And you have 12 dumbbells. So, and again, you only have, you know, 13 to, 13 to 15 athletes on a men's basketball team. And, you know, do you really need a CrossFit size? They're not going together. Okay, so and this is a really good um, visual of what the women were given versus what the men were given. And again, remember that, there's only one team at a time allowed in either of these quote unquote <laughs> workout rooms. So I'm not exactly sure why, why this didn't get caught other than I think that due to the pandemic, the two committees, the you know, men's basketball committee and women's basketball committee, and you have leads on that from NCAA staff. They, I don't think they were talking to each other. Now that being mm-hmm. said, there are stark differences in non-pandemic years about how the women's um, women's tournament is run. And I think one of the things that's really surprising to a lot of people, and it was actually surprising to me, and I work in the industry, when I found out, the first time I found out that the March Madness, which is owned by the NCAA, only applies to men's basketball. Elite Eight is men's basketball. Like, that is what? Only men's basketball. That is a trademark of men's basketball. So when you talk about March Madness, you are only talking about men's basketball. Really? And it's so... And they're protective of that. They're protective of that that trademark. I think there's a history. My understanding in talking, because I'm lucky enough that within my conference, um, we have the most female athletic directors in any Division One conference, which is awesome. We have five. Um, and we actually got together because the NCAA has hired a law firm to really take a look at gender equity within the NCAA and where the issues are. And we had a conversation with our 
um, our women's uh, athletic directors who have, many of them have been around for a very long time. Uh, Debbie Corum, who's the um, athletic director at Southern Utah, first female athletic director in the state of Utah. Um, and she was a senior woman uh, at UConn. She worked with Gina Ariyama. Um, She has been at the SEC. I believe she's been at the Big 12. I believe she's been at Stanford. She is, she is very um, knowledgeable. And then, you know, we have Lynn Hickey, who had been the AD um, at Texas San Antonio uh, and has been around for a very long time. She was a women's head coach at Texas A&M for a very long time. And I think that his, there was something that happened in the history of this um, where they were trying to figure out how are they going to brand the men's basketball championship and how does that work with the women's basketball championship. And from what I could gather, uh, it was a din that the women's committee said, no, we're going to do our own thing. So I don't know how long ago that was, but it, I think it's silly. I think it's silly. Clearly it's, it's, clearly it's outdated itself in that yeah. decision. And yeah. Yeah, because it is such a great brand. And I think that a lot of women's basketball players, I was one of them, was shocked to find out that March Madness is not women. It's men. Hmm. So it's Well, before we dive too much uh, into more of of that, because I really want to – you you talked Title IX. I want to talk about that and what that means. Uh, But tell us uh, about you – Janie, what what are you doing with your career right now? Uh, what what field are you in, and and um, how does that apply to the the things you're talking about today? Okay, well, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I grew up um, on a farm in southeast Idaho, um, 20 miles from town, so pretty much stayed out. Like of the Idaho farm. Falls area or your IF area no, up there? Uh, Creston, Creston. Have you okay. seen Napoleon oh, yeah. Dynamite? That is uh-huh. the hometown, and what I always tell everybody is like there's. Everything you saw in that movie is very accurate. Um, the depiction, you know, I remember my husband, Ben, was like, aren't you embarrassed about how they're portraying Preston? I'm like, oh, honey, you need to know we're married because this is pretty accurate. Um, so, uh, but wh- where I grew up, uh, sports was it. Sports was everything. And we didn't have, you know, we didn't have competition with um professional teams or even college teams. The closest college team we had competition for fans with was Utah State. Um, And the other thing in Idaho, and I don't know what it is about the state of Idaho versus the state of Utah because they're really not that different. But the state of Idaho, girls sports is heralded. And it's just not in the state of Utah. And Mm, I knew that when I was in high school and we'd go and play Skyview. And Skyview was an amazing team. And we'd show up. And they didn't have anyone to to run their um, clock. They didn't have they didn't have fans. And this this was a great team. And we wow. would we would host them at our place, and it was standing room only. And you know they had a girl. Her name's I can't think of her name right now, but she ended up going to UCLA to play volleyball and basketball. Marie Marie something. And, and, and nobody was, was watching her. Nobody. And it was silly. I mean, they had like their, their parents were there, but it was more so, I mean, but you would go to, they'd come to our place and play and it was standing room only. Um, because the way we had it set up is that the girls were home. The boys were usually on the road and vice versa. They do it a little bit different here in Utah, which I don't like, and I'm probably going to throw a fit at some point. Um, but we would, we would have like the fans, they didn't travel. They're just like, go watch. I mean, we, there were people that didn't have kids playing. 
whose kids graduated years ago who would still show up to the games. And they knew the stats of the players, boys and girls. And then the boys would come to the games that they could. And the girls would go to their game. It was just, it was, there was nothing else going on in town, let's be honest. And so that was, True. that was where I grew up. And, you know, the athletes, you know, kind of, I don't want to say like we were heroes. That sounds terrible. But if you were an athlete. You felt like one world. anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, well, yeah, of course. Of course you felt like one. <laughs> we got out of speeding tickets, those kind of things. But, you know, it was just, it was <laughs> yes. something that, <laughs> yeah. So I went from that and, and having a very successful career in high school um, to, and then I came to Weber State. And when I came to Weber State, we weren't as successful. And I went from being a very big fish in a teeny tiny pond to a teeny tiny minnow in the ocean. And that was really hard. That was really hard because I was there with girls that were just way better than me. And I was playing against girls who were way better than me and they were bigger and they were faster and they were stronger. Like the um, first time in your life probably, yeah? First time in my life. It didn't matter how hard I worked. You know, it was one of those, I'm like, they're just going to kick my butt. And so it was great it, and it taught me a lot. Um, but so I went, I, I played, I actually played volleyball and basketball my first year and then I focused on basketball. Um, I thought there would be more playing time versus volleyball um, based on who I saw in front of me. It was this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then I just didn't want to play year round. I needed some time to focus on my academics. So um, did that, graduated, um, had a degree in public relations, decided about two months before I was graduating that I didn't want to do public relations. And if you don't think that that's a terrible feeling to have when you have studied your entire college career that was being paid for that you don't want to do what you studied for, but you don't really know what you want to do. That was, that was not good. And so I found myself, um, I got an internship at um, the big sky conference doing sports information because I did have a background. I wrote for the school newspaper um, for a while. So I kind of had that in my background and I love to write. So started as an intern and just have slowly made my way through. So I did, I did sports information and then I did championships and marketing. And uh, then I moved into compliance and now governance. And now kind of what I I just kind of do a little bit of everything. And my big thing right now is kind of special projects. So, you know, with COVID hitting, how are we going to bring sport back in the big sky? How are we going to do it safely? How are we going to protect the student athletes, the coaches, the fans, the administrators, what type of things can be put in place? How are we going to, how are we going to do a championship what protocols need to be in place? How how are we going to afford to do that? Um, little stuff, just little stuff. Little tiny stuff, you know. One of the things <laughs> I know. We're, we're, wow, your job got uh, really complicated really fast with COVID. It did. It like. did not intend that to to happen, but I I'm grateful it happened because it's just it's actually been for me, um, it's been nice because I've got to interact with our membership more than I ever have, and it's it's been really nice to get to know those people uh, from a different position i guess i would say so that's what i do right now i'm the senior associate commissioner of the big sky conference i've been there for 21 years wow so lots of experience um in sports both both personally and then um on the professional professional side um with what you're doing with the big sky conference as well uh as you were growing up in sports were there times when um whether that be uh, when you're really young or when you're, whether you, when you're in college, were there times when you noticed differences between uh, 
how boys sports and girls sports, men's sports and women's sports. What were there times where you felt that? Um, and, and if so, at, at, when was the first time you started kind of recognizing that things were, could be or, or were a little bit different? That's a good question. When did I first recognize it? I think for the longest time, I just was like, this is just the way the world works, right? Hmm. So when I was, I don't know how old I was when I played junior jazz, um, but they didn't have any girls teams uh back then so that so i was born in 77 so that had to have been I be, i'll bet you i was seven eight years old they didn't have any girls teams there was no girls teams i was the only girl um signed up to play junior jazz um we i got put on a team that our neighbor coached and it ended up being a team full of boys that you know have i ended up going to high school with and really liked the guys um they were really they were good kids right but they did not want to pass to a girl. Now, mm. mind you, you know how tall girls get before boys get. I was definitely <laughs> yeah. one of the tallest girls on the team. And they didn't want to pass me the ball. And, in fact, the only one who would pass me the ball was my cousin, Mark. And, and the only reason he passed me the ball is his dad made him. <laughs> and, so, and then they would always put the weakest player um, on me because I was a girl. Um, the thing that... I don't know. People probably don't understand. Like, so my mom did college basketball. Um, my dad, yeah. So, so yeah, I was walking with a basketball almost. As so you just say it. You were good. I mean, I was pretty amazing <laughs> at eight years old. Yes. Yeah, so I was pretty much a big deal. <laughs> you were better than some of the other kids anyway. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, it was those little kind of things. And, but I, I didn't know any different, right. It was just, this is the way it is. And then I remember um, in high school, we were, I believe it was high school. It could, it could be junior high. I can't remember. But I remember that for our freshman team, we needed, it might have been junior high, maybe eighth or seventh, I don't know. But we needed uniforms. Well, we didn't have uniforms. So we had we had to go digging in. The eighth grade like, team, did you just say? It was something like that. Yeah. I, I wish I could. You didn't have uniforms? That. Right. We didn't have uniforms that were, that were, okay, well, let me just lay it out for you. So we went digging, like by way, I mean the coach and, and the girls went digging because apparently there wasn't any money, but something had happened and I can't even get into it right, but there, there wasn't any money for new uniforms. So we go digging in these boxes and they were, the uniforms we found were polyester. And this was, this was his freshman because I remember the colors, right? Because I know the colors of junior high and the colors of high school. Um, and they were polyester, which was super 1980s. And this was not the 1980s. And they, we had one shirt and the shirt, the, sh the shirt uniform was blue, but it was purple, right? Our colors yeah. were blue. That shirt was purple and it had a yellow number on it. And then the shorts were so bad that we didn't, we couldn't use the blue shorts because they were either too short, they were too ruined, whatever it was. So we ended up having to use white shorts. So we were wearing blue slash purple tops and white shorts. And I didn't know anything different until I saw the freshman boys team. And guess who got new uniforms that year? 
was the boys varsity team and everything got passed down to the JV and then they passed theirs down to the freshmen. And the girls didn't get new uniforms for I don't even know how long. And this freshman team, we looked like clowns and no one said a word. No one said a word. So I remember that. And I, again, I still didn't think that it was anything different. This is like, ah, this is the way it is, right? So it works. And, we're um, gonna get our, we'll get our uniforms. We'll play ball. We'll make it work. That's fine. Um, mm. we're, not, we're not that special. And mm. I don't think it was until my senior year of high school, we had, um, we had four seniors on the team. And we had five seniors on the team. And four of us were going to go play Division One volleyball afterwards. And we decided that we wanted to wear the kind of uniform that volleyball players wore. Now, you remember, we're in a very small town, Idaho. Spandex was frowned upon. Oof. So we were wearing like, so we called them our silkies and they looked like basketball uniforms, but they, and, and everything was covered. We had like, you know, it was very, very nice and they were very pretty. We're like, we should be playing with what we're, you know, real volleyball. You know, we're going to win state this year. We should look like real volleyball players. So, well, we've already used the budget. We can't, we can't purchase um, these fans that you guys want. We can't purchase those. Like, well, if we purchase them, would that be okay? And they're like, well, yeah, yeah. When I tell you the uproar that went throughout that town, that we were going to wear spandex, that they they were so upset that we were going to wear spandex. And they weren't short spandex like you see now. I mean, a lot of them went to like way below mid-thigh. Um, they had to have a school board meeting about it um, because it wasn't appropriate for these young ladies. So they were controlling everything. And at that moment, I remember going, why is this such a big deal? Hmm. I don't see them saying a word about how tight those football pants are. No one's saying a word. And I think that's kind of when I started to go like, this is weird. This is weird that this is a, a thing. So interesting. That's probably one interesting. I mean, you're talking about a team with four college level um, athletes on it. That's good. You said mm -hmm. it was going to take state. Did you take state? We did. We took state. Took state. We wore those uniforms uh, for that game too. Yeah wore those uniforms. And instead of talking about this team and these athletes and how incredible they are, they're talking about uh, their spandex uniforms that look like everyone else's mm -hmm. uniforms. That's Man. when I realized we were, we were being judged under a different magnifying glass than anyone else. That's, that's really interesting. That is that moment that um, kind of started to, you know, you, 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 recognize it before but this was a moment that was like okay there's something here that's just really not right and yeah. that, that is that is that needs to be changed um what you know as you you transition to college um and in your career what sort of positive changes have you seen happen over that over those time periods and yeah let's start there what sort of positive things and, and changes have happened through through that time that process well i think that i think that first off um there's been a lot of really good things that have happened there there really has been um i can speak specifically towards the big sky we are getting so much more competitive amongst each other and that just builds everyone's programs and moves us moves us up um when you say within lot, each other are you talking about with men's and women's no no within, within the women's programs yeah within the women's programs in in big sky 
all yeah, within. So the yeah, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. So it's much more competitive. Um, we have we've seen expansion of all of our women's sports championship brackets. Um, you know, when I was playing, four teams would go to the um, Big Sky Championship, and now you know, in volleyball, eight go. Um, in basketball, all go. Um, softball, six go. They they didn't have softball in the Big Sky when I was there. They barely had soccer. So, I mean, we're building things. There's more and more opportunities for women. Um, we're seeing nationally, you're actually, it's a, it's a good thing, but it's a bad thing because we have seen nationally, there's more and more men coaching at the women's level or, or coaching women. And the reason for that is the, the financial benefits are actually getting to where they should be, or they should be more. Obviously they're never going to be right up there with the, with the men's teams and the men's coaches. But so there's more interest in that. Cause the coaches of the women's teams are starting to get paid. Yeah. But the unfortunate yeah. part of that, about that is we're losing more women in the coaching ranks. And there's a lot of theories as to why that's happening. Um, I've heard lots of conversations about like, well, uh, the majority of ADs now are men. And um, there's always a concern. I mean, and I don't even know if this is still, still an argument to be made, but I remember hearing this long ago that like, well, you hire a woman, you know, she wants to have a family, you're going to have to pay her um, pregnancy um, leave and things like that. All of that um, maternity leave, not pregnancy leave. I wish we could have pregnancy leave. That would have been amazing. <laughs> but um, maternity leave. And then like, you also have to worry about, you know, title nine more. And I'm like, well, you should be worried about title nine all the time. Let's let's be straight. Um, you should be treating your women's programs equally to your men's programs. Um, but you know, it, it if you are hiring, it's really easy to feel much more comfortable with someone who looks and acts and has a background somewhere to you. And mm -hmm. as a woman, you don't necessarily. So that's why it's more important. More women are getting into administration, which why is why I'm so happy to see that, you know, leading the country with five female ADs in a single conference. And they're really, really good. They're really good ADs. Um, and what I've really enjoyed is watching how our male ADs interact with them. And they're, they I mean, they appreciate their perspective and input. Um, so there's not like an us versus them in the conference. It's very much um, collegial and everyone gets along and, and I think that everyone helps each other because we know that the more diverse voices you you bring to a table, the more successful any organization is. And I think that, that we show that with how we've handled um, the pandemic, with how we've handled growth and, and all of these things. So I, I've seen that. I've seen um, like, for instance, in women's basketball, and I wish I had the numbers in front of me. I have them somewhere, but um, everybody always says that women's basketball loses money. And that's actually not 100% accurate. Um, I think that we have been, that women's basketball was lumped in with several other sports when they got their, their contract for TV. But we have seen a tremendous growth. Um, I want to say like in, in 2000, I have this actually right here. I'm going to pull it up so I can read it because I don't want to say the wrong thing. Um, give you the wrong numbers. So yeah. I wrote this. So in 2018-19, women's basketball produced $974 million, less only wow. football and men's basketball, despite receiving a tiny percentage of overall media coverage. So we aren't promoting our women, but our women are continually getting better. So if you compare that, so that was 2018-19. So in 2002-03, Men's basketball produced 848.5 million. So 
we're still behind, yes, but we are not promoted at the level that the men are. And if you think about the first men's basketball championship was held in 1939. Do you know when the first women's basketball championship was held? Tell me. I have 1982. No idea. <laughs> 1982. Wow. Really? We're 40 years behind. Yeah. We're 40 years behind. Yeah. And we're already doing this. And there, there is data out there that there's, a, there's an economist at Southern Utah. His name is Dave Barry. And he is, he's like, the data shows that women's sports, is, and in particular women's basketball, is getting more and more interest. The women's NBA, the WNBA, is one of the only sports during the pandemic that has actually continued to raise um, viewership. So it's there. But you've got this narrative that's like, I mean, you saw that, you saw that video of that kid that I like teed off on, on TikTok about, you know, you all don't know how they, you know, this is how much the men make and the women lose that. I'm like, that's not even part of the story. Right. And the really interesting piece that people don't understand is like, so title nine is basically saying that you have to treat men and women equally, right? That doesn't mean they get the exact same thing, but it, you need to have equal access to things. And that is for how, federal tell, explain that to me in pra- in a practical sense. How does that how does that play out? And how did the you know the kid on TikTok not understand it? Uh, how does that well, play out in practical sense? It. Yeah, he didn't understand it because he's young and it doesn't impact him. And <laughs> right. and a lot of people don't understand it. And and it took me a while to really understand it as well. Um, but so when we talk about it, we say, okay, is it just what we saw earlier? Is it okay for the men to have this massive Jim, and we think that these 12 dumbbells is equal, right? When they finally fixed it, they didn't, they still didn't have the size that the men did. They still didn't, but they had adequate, they had what they needed. The men had more than they needed. Um, So no one's complaining about that. The issue was really 12 dumbbells. That's, that's what we're going to do this. Um, it's the difference between the words like equality and equity, right? That we talk about so often, right? It's that it's yeah. that they need they need equity. Um, they need what they need uh, the same way the men need what they need um, to do their sports and to do their job. Uh, they right. don't have to be equal per se. Yeah, they need to have access to similar, right? And you know, the interesting piece about that is everyone's like, "Well, the men make this much more," and I was like. Revenue generation has nothing to do with it, has legitimately nothing to do with it. It is about equal access. It is about access to opportunity that women have had to fight for just to get a morsel of what men are just freely given. And I'm not a man hater. I mean, you know, not and, this, a man and this is by law, right? This is Supreme Court law, law. Um, you know, law. fought for by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, this is the, that's where Title IX's uh, history kind of goes back to. Yeah, and, but the really interesting piece of it that people don't really understand is like, so so the NCAA, and so it's for any institution or organization that receives federal funding. That's where Title IX comes in, right? Mm-hmm. The NCAA yeah. doesn't get any funding from the, um, from the feds. So they're not required to do that. That being said, they are constantly talking about Title IX and equitable treatment and i think that it was like women's history month (laughs) this came out and they were doing all these big things promoting women and then this and so it looks terrible it looks so cringy yeah 
And so you're just like, yeah, I get that you don't you don't need to because you don't receive federal funds, but you don't get to preach it and not be held accountable when you don't practice it. Um, and the other piece of it is, and I always have this conversation. I had a really interesting conversation with, um, this is kind of a tangent, but I had an interesting conversation with a legislator at a neighboring state because, as you know, there's LGBTQ legislation going on for transgender women across the country, and it's just tragic. It's a whole other thing. But he he was just like, well, the NCAA can't can't tell us what to do because you know if they if they remove access to championships in our state, we're just going to sue them for under federal racketeering law. And I'm like, well, they don't. That's only for people who receive federal funding, and the NCAA doesn't. Well, his I think his argument would be, we are the NCAA, so Weber State. Idaho State, Montana, Montana State, Sacramento State, we are the NCAA. It is us because we're the membership and we're the ones who vote and we approve or oppose any of the legislation that's coming through the NCAA. So, yes, there is a there is a headquarters in Indianapolis. But they don't just get to do whatever they want. They have to go through. That's why we have membership um, committees full of membership that make those determinations. That being said, they are not federally funded so they don't have to abide by title nine now they they make every effort to appear that they are abiding by title nine but i can tell you that the way they the way they've always run the basketball championships is very different in terms of how much money they'll spend to to do the men's versus how much money they'll spend to do the women's um it's you know they, they do much more regionalized um first and second round in the women's versus the men's i mean it's all to save money so and and I think we should talk about one of the reasons why, um, you know, the women uh, in the in the WNBA, while they received growth and viewership, uh, was because of some of their leadership, um, leadership in a in a time of, um, you know, the protests and uh, uh, surrounding racial unrest, and um, they got heavily involved in that, and they. Um, they were they they're I can't I don't know which team it is you probably know which team has the owner of the, of the senator from the, that was running for senate in Georgia, she what she uh, the she's the owner of the Atlanta team in Georgia and their owner was running for senate and was she's awful she's awful and the WNBA uh, those players just they boycotted a game and they came out against their very owner the person you know and uh, it got you know, national press. And I think got people interested in their game and, and it was, it was brave. It was uh, strong and, and just, just really impressive. And I think that is one of the reasons that, that um, uh, you saw that sport grow during that time. Oh, I 100% agree. And I think that when you see these women that are playing the WNBA, first off, none of them went to college thinking, I'm going to make a ton of money playing in the WNBA. There's a lot of, there's a lot of men that go to play college ball that are like, okay, well, I'm gonna do this. And I'm gonna go to the NBA there's like a, a fraction of a percentage that are actually going to go to the NBA or play professional in any sport. Um, but I think for the most part, the women aren't thinking that a lot of them will go play overseas. They're barely making enough money to survive. And when you see the difference in how much money these women's athletes are making compared to their male counterparts, it's stark. Right. Um, but these are women that have had to fight for everything. And so they have no problem um, standing up and speaking out. And we see that even yeah. just at a, a conference level. You know, we have we have our women's athletes that are, you know, we do the Pledge of Allegiance, they, they kneel. 
And God bless them. I, I yeah. love that they do that. I love they have a platform. They 100% have a platform and they ought to use it. They ought to use it for good. And so in terms of the WNBA, I mean, I, I don't watch a lot of it because I will be honest, I get I get sported out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I love it every day. So I get every sported day. out. Um, so I haven't watched it in a while, but. One thing I will say is I, I was watching the um, I made it I made a point with my girls because I have an 11 and a 10 year old and I'm coaching their comp team. Um, I've made a point to be like, all right, we're going to watch these games, you know, the women's basketball games. We watch a little of the men's yeah. too, but we watch the women's. And I would stop and pause it. I'm like, all right, now here's what we're doing over here and on defense and this is, and and they were like really excited because I remember watching a ton of basketball growing up, but it was never women's basketball. It was always men. And I'll be honest, it was Chicago. It was Michael Jordan. I watched him. Uh, yeah. Uh, really? <laughs> he oh. pushed off. He pushed off. Brian Russell. Was a push off. <laughs> you know, you know who says that? Losers. <laughs> oh, snap. She got me. Yeah. She got me. So, but I mean, I remember going and I'd see what Michael Jordan did. And then I would go to the gym early the next day. Like my mom would drop me off on the way to, on the way to work. And I'd be there at 6 a.m. And I would... I practiced all these moves I thought I could do because I was Michael Jordan as a female, right? Uh, I wasn't. But so I would sit there and I'd have these girls. And I was like, I'm so glad that these girls can see these girls doing this. And I was so, watching the game and I was like, the game that I played 20 years ago, doesn't it no longer exists. These mm -hmm. girls are playing at the level that the men were playing 20 years ago. I mean, it's yeah. that good. We got girls that can dunk. That's Sedona Prince from Oregon. She can dunk it. Like I watch her, I'm like, oh man. And you know, they do it in game. I mean, and it's not a splash. Yeah. It's a different game than the men's sure. than the men's game. It 100 percent is, but it's so much fun to watch. It's so much better to watch than when I was playing. I don't blame people for not liking it when I was playing. Because I mean it was good, but it wasn't well, not good. But ah. these these teams are legit. These well, and even for your your girls to have access to watch. Mm -hmm these yeah. games like you didn't have access to watch those games you watched michael jordan because he was on um and and but you have we have live streams and we have all kinds of ways and to um and and will in the future even more to oh, yeah. watch whatever we want and, mm -hmm. and so that's that's also an advancement and by the way i wanted to mention because i think this is really important that um kelly loffler the owner of the atlanta dream that we were talking about earlier that was running for senate in georgia she lost by the way. Yep. And yes, I did. think that there is uh, the, the momentum behind the WNBA players uh, made a difference uh, mm -hmm. and all of it made a difference. It was, it was close and, and all of it made a difference. And so like, that is a big, big deal uh, that those women did. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, big deal. Yeah. Well, and then you also saw like what I thought was super cool was when you saw what happened with the, you know, with the weights at the, at, in San Antonio, um, and all of these male NBA players were calling out the NCAA being like, Oh my gosh, do better. Like yeah. getting those male allies to be like, look, they deserve, they work just as hard as we do. They, they have just as much pressure as we do. So why, why are they not deserving? Because they don't bring in as much money because you're not promoting them as much. I mean, it's a whole, like, it's like circular argument. Um, you know, one of the things that kid on TikTok said He's like, I never saw a women's bracket. I'm like, that doesn't mean it didn't exist. It just meant that you weren't, <laughs> you weren't given that opportunity. And yeah, sure. you know, it's sad. I always kind of had a problem because I would go to the women's final four for years 
because as part of my job and I really didn't like it. And the reason I didn't like it is UConn was so tough. Yeah. And they were beating in the championship game. They were beating teams by 30, 40 points. And I was like, how many years in a how many years in a row did they win? Like it was I want to say like six or seven. It was insane. Dan Dan says ten. He knows. He knows the stuff. (laughs) Not somebody who works in the business. But um, it was insane. And I, I got so bored with it. I'm like, I don't want to, like, why? I don't want to fly all the way to go watch this. And it's a beat down. Well, I don't know if you've, like, seen the difference in what the scores were this year on the women's side versus what the scores were on the men's side. I mean, the women's side, in, in the last four years, the women have become so much more competitive. Um, and the difference between um, the scores in the games has really tightened up. I mean, I want to say it was like, I think I wrote it down. I was looking at this the other day. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm going to have this for the podcast. It'll be, he'll, he'll think I'm so smart. Um, but then, of course, I didn't look it up before this. But, I mean, the men got blown out this year, right? Totally. Um, which was so, listen, I was a huge Gonzaga fan. I wanted Gonzaga to win. Oh, well, yeah. They, it, they, they played so hard that game too. before that. They were. They were yeah. Yeah. So, from two, 2013 to 16, UConn. The difference in uh, the point average difference in the championship game was 24 points. Like that was Oof. the average. Blowout and city from, every time. Yeah. So yeah, UConn every time. Um, from 2017 through 2019, there were three different champs, and the point difference was five. So wow. and then so this the parity is really coming up oh, now, yeah. and it's fun to exactly. watch. These games are close. There. Yeah. Yeah. Because like so, this year what is a, what ended up being a one point game. And Stanford won. I wish I wanted Arizona to win because I thought that was cool. But like Stanford won. I think they won by one, two points, maybe. I can't think. Um, so now there's four different champs with a point differential of what? Three. So, I mean, it's gotten, it's gotten a lot better. On the men's side, um, the average difference was 11 from 17 to 19. And if you count this year, it's going to really go up. So it's, it's getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, so the other day, I'm I'm listening to a podcast uh, by Zach Lowe, um, and he's uh, I think he's a he's in the the Ringer network of of podcasts. Anyway, um, and he has Doris Burke on, who is a commentator for ESPN, and I'm listening to Doris Burke. I, I'm I'm listening to Doris. What'd you say? What'd you call her? She's a she's a godmother. Yeah. She's a godmother. I'm listening to Doris Burke talk and I am just like, I, I'm blown away by her analysis of the game and, and the way she's talking. We're talking about NBA here. And, and I'm, I'm just like, you know what? I realized in that moment that I get almost all of my uh, sports knowledge from these podcasts and all of them are men. And I am missing out. Because when I listen to Doris Burke break down the game, when I listen to her analysis, when I listen to her talk, I was like, Zach, just don't talk anymore. Let's like just ask questions and let Doris talk because this is this is incredible. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder, you know, in sports, it's all about trying to find an edge um, on on your opponent, and in the business of even even like commentating or whatever else. And I wonder if there's this huge untapped market right now um, for I think about coaching. Um, in, in college and men's college, like where is the opportunity for women who are brilliant and, and could, and can, you know, you got all this pool of men, but you're not pooling, you're not pulling 
from these women that could probably get, get that are are brilliant in a way that Doris Burke is better than all of these other people that I've been listening to. Um, uh-huh. Where are the opportunities for them to to come in and and help these these teams and help these programs get better? Uh, because they've got to be there, right? They are. Um, I, I would say it's difficult to break into coaching for men as well as women, right? To get into the men's side on coaching. I know a lot of, I know a lot of men are looking, trying to get in. How do I get into coaching? Can I be a a Dobo, a director of basketball operations, you know, and just be a gopher for everything. And it's a lot of hard work, but it gets my foot in the door. Um, I mean, I don't want this to sound terrible and I don't want to like, everybody's like, Oh, she thinks everybody's sexist, but there's still, there's a lot of inherent sexism in, in college athletics. I mean, there just, there just is. Um, but what I, I've seen that we have, there are more and more women getting involved at the professional level. And uh, Becky Hammond, um, I played against her when she was at Colorado State. I'll just really? say right now, her, yeah, I had no business being on the same court as that woman. <laughs> she was a whole nother level, right? That's and awesome. And she's coaching, who's she coaching with? Is it with Greg Popovich? Is that him? Is that? I think that, so. It, not surprising that Pop would give women the first yeah. foot in the door. Yeah. You know, yeah, love so good she's coaching with him. We've got women um, that are uh, batting coaches for major league teams. We've got women who are strength coaches for NFL teams. So, and, and we've had like our first, not our first, but we had a woman officiate the foot, the uh, Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. That's right. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's getting there and I think it's going to have to continue to be, but it's kind of like, it, it's got to make its way down, down to college. And um, I, I don't know how long that will be. Um, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it happen. But you know, the other thing about the other thing about college sports, in particular college basketball, is it is a grind. It is a you start um, you start conditioning for the athletes and the coaches in mid August, mid October, right? Um, I'm sorry, that's when you start practice. You start conditioning in August, um, and you you go until mid March. That and then and then in the meantime you're also recruiting, and then you're also recruiting in the summer, and then you're doing summer camps where you're recruiting. It's just it's a grind, and there is I know there's no such thing as balance like work life balance. There's just not. We don't we don't even try to pretend there is at this point. But you just see that, and if you think on the women's side it's bad, on the men's side it's it's on steroids. It is just go 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 looking for. And that's why you're seeing what has happened with like University of Arizona's coach got caught up in that FBI scandal and trying to figure out, get the next edge um, to get that next player to take us to the next level. Right. Um, It's a very competitive industry. And when I walk into a room of men's basketball coaches or men's football coaches, it, it is, it is something there's just a crackle to the, to the air, right? You just, you're just like, it's go time. I mean, these, these people don't have time for any BS. They are here. They are going to win. They're going to do whatever it takes. And, um, and, and I don't want you to get me wrong. They're great people. I love the coaches in the big sky, great people, but they are there. They are very competitive. Um, and the grind that it takes, sometimes I wonder, you know, I don't know how, like I wanted to have a family. Not every woman does and not everyone should should be required to obviously I couldn't do that with a family. I just, I couldn't do it. Um, and I think that you don't see a whole lot of uh, men's coaches and I'm, I'm generalizing here. So if there's somebody out there that like goes like, 
here. Well, this guy and this guy, right? Um, you don't see a whole lot of men's coaches with, with their wives who are working full time, right? A lot of times they don't have to because they're making plenty of money for both of them. But I think that, that that is a problem. It is a very long, long season that never, ever ends. And then if you also think about it, your livelihood is incumbent on 18 to 22-year-old kids. And if you don't think that's going to make you crazy, it's, it's <laughs> going to make you crazy. Because what were you like, 18 to 22? Because I was a, I was a terrible person. <laughs> a terrible person. <laughs> I was a terrible person. No one's job should be impacted by me at 18 to 22. But right. that's the career they've gotten into. So in terms of like getting women into into head coaching positions in college, I, I don't know how when that will happen. Um, I think that ha- I'm not sure, but I think that might have happened at the D two or D three level at some point. Um, but I think the more women we get into administration is going to be easier for women to get into the coaching ranks, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and I, like you said, you were, we're starting to see that happen and, and big skies leading the way uh, on that. It sounds like um, the, the most athletic directors in the country in your conference that are women. Is that what, is that what you said? I believe so. And if I'm wrong on that, I'm shocked, but I'm, I know that we had, we had talked about it when it first happened. So yeah. No. Well, that's very cool. What what would you say uh, is needs to happen um, for the progression uh, of women's sports and for there to be more and greater equity uh, involved in, in women's sports going forward? What's the what's the top two things on your list that you can think of right now that um, that that you would like to see happen and, and implemented? Whether that is here at a local level, let's go, let's go small and then bigger. Let's go on a local level. What, what should we be doing here on a local level to um, further uh, equity in, in women's sports? And what, what should be happening at, at maybe a bigger uh, national or global level? It's a really good question. Um, locally, I have two things locally. One is in the state of Utah, we got to start supporting women's athletics at the same rate that we support men's athletics. And that starts at the, at the high school. So one of the things I'd love to see um, is, for instance, in the Ogden School District, which is where we are, and I don't know if other school districts do it, but the Ogden School District, the varsity high school girls teams play at five o'clock. And I'm talking specifically basketball. So we'll just keep this to basketball, okay? They play at five o'clock. The boys teams play at seven, seven thirty, which is the prime time. Okay. So, so it means I are, could never see a women's game because I get off work at five o'clock. Even if my daughters right. are playing, I'd have to rearrange, like I'd have to rearrange my schedule. I have to take those exactly. days off or something to get to their exactly. game. Yeah. And quite frankly, it's a violation of Title Nine. Mm. It hundred percent is because it's not that someone's playing at five o'clock, right? It's that it's always the women. It's always the yeah, girls. It is. At five o'clock. That is a lack of opportunity. That is restricting opportunity because you cannot build, you cannot build the programs if you're playing at five o'clock every day. Um, nope. The boys are always going to get, it's like the, the headline show. So you're always like the opening act for the boys. Right. And that's because the way they play it is they have the girls and the boys play at the same site. And I'm sure the reasoning for that is it's easier for administrators to not have to work every single night. And I get that. Simple solution, every other year, the boys go at five o'clock. 
Um, other other option is split them up. So have yeah. if your host if you're on the road here, then your girls team is at home. You're playing at seven o'clock. You send one administrator to one game, you come to the other ones to the other, and you make it work. Right. Because right. it's and the right thing to do. Frankly, I, I'm shocked that they have not, and the state of Utah hasn't been sued yet for it. I do know that in other states, uh, uh, they're, they are, they're being sued for it. Because it's happening everywhere. It's not just the state of Utah. It's happening everywhere. Um, what, attorneys what out would, there that are listening? Who's our yeah, attorneys that are listening? There's a women's, <laughs> there's a women's sports law foundation or something like that, that. That Yeah, and I have a very good friend. Her name is Janet Judge. I adore her. She played at Harvard. She played soccer at Harvard. She's amazing. She's a lawyer. She's yeah. a Title IX expert. And I always oh. call her. I'm like, I don't think this is right. And she goes, it's not right. You need, to, you need to do this. So that's number one. I would like to see that change. And it's, it's going to get to a point that when I have time, because, you know, I have a – 11 year old. She's not that far from high school. Um, she acts like she's 20 already, but um, I don't want to have to deal with that five o'clock game. It's not, it's not fair to me. It's really not fair to those girls. Um, it's not fair to the parents of those girls. It's discreet. It's honestly, it's discriminatory. It and is. I don't it know is. how anyone can justify it. Um, you, if you want to make, if you want to do it, you can do it. There, it, it's a very easy fix. Um, there's a couple of different options, but it's a very easy fix. That's number one. Number two, I would say I just like to see uh, more women coaching their girls' teams because I'm a firm believer that if you can see it, you can be it. Um, I always had I had female coaches. I had male coaches too. I had female coaches. Um, one of the things that we did at the Big Sky uh, is we demanded that at our women's basketball championship that our talents so our play-by-play and our color were women. And first off, they were phenomenal. And we got comments about, we want them to do the men's games. Awesome. They were phenomenal because they not only understood the game, one of the, the play, but the color commentator um, I played against her in college, I hated her in college. Um, <laughs> we're friends now, but I hated her in college. She was such a little dirty, little sneak. Um, but she's amazing and she's actually working on like a podcast that I think is going to get pick, picked up nationally, um, yeah. to talk about sports and, and, and in particular women's basketball, um, they were phenomenal. And I think it's so important. And so I remember, I don't know if you ever saw like on Facebook, I wrote it a couple of years ago about these two women that were, they were broadcasting this game. They were 100% amazing. They were so professional. They were so perfect. I was listening to them like, oh man, they're so good. And then I looked out and we had all female um, officials on the court. And I'm like, that's what we need. There are so many avenues um, of careers to pursue within athletics for girls. But if, if young girls can't see that, then they can't, they can't be that. And they won't, they'll think that I can only be a basketball player. No, no, no. You can be a commentator. You can be a coach. You can be an official. You can mm -hmm. be an athletic director. You know, these things they need to see. These are things I never saw. And so I want my kids to see that, that they can do that. Um, so those, so promoting that and like making sure that they, we, th there's so many women and this is just both locally and nationally have so much knowledge about sport, whether it's volleyball, basketball, lacrosse, soccer, whatever it is, because they played it and they played it at a very high level, but they're not sharing it. They're not, they're not coaching. 
for whatever reason. There's a variety of reasons. Mine was I don't have time and I'm tired. But if I'm going to talk the talk, I got to walk the walk, right? So sharing that knowledge that you that you garnered over a lifetime of playing the sport at a high level, sharing it with these kids is going to take them to the next level, right? Even if you know that my kids are not playing for Natalie Williams, who 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 runs a big program down in Salt Lake, who's amazing. And I'm not even saying I'm close to that, but at least they're getting someone who understands the game, who knows the game, and who can teach the game to girls with a with a girl's perspective. Because this is nothing against men. I've seen some really amazing men's coaches. Gino R.E.M. is one. My high school coach was a male. He was amazing. Girls talk differently to girls. For so sure. I, I think that's, that's incredibly important that we share that knowledge that we worked really hard for that knowledge and we should be sharing it with the next generation. I, I feel very strongly about that. So, so that's kind it. of more global and national. I love it. I love it. You know, I have, um, I've had the opportunity to get to know, um, coach Ray's, uh, coach mm-hmm. Ray from the men's Weaver state men's head coach. I've got to know mm-hmm. his wife, Laura Ray. Um, mm-hmm. both of her kids are adopted. She was like my, uh, adoptive mom, uh, parent, my adoptive parent, uh, role model for, for a yeah. while. And, and as we were trying to adopt our kids, I got to know her and, uh, she's a, a division one women's referee. And I just loved talking to her about the game of basketball and, and her knowledge and what, she, how she sees the game, uh, from a referee's perspective. And, um, it, it, I, I learned, I've, I've learned a lot from her, um, in many different ways, but, um, so yeah. we need more people like her and more people like Doris Burke that are getting into our everyday lives and, mm-hmm. and, and influencing us and the future generation. And, and like you said, I think that was so important how, um, if mm-hmm. you can see it, you can be it. And so I would like to see more of that for, for my yeah. daughter and, yeah, uh, those future generations. Well, and you know, and you see when I, I talked a little bit about the sexism that's just inherent, and I don't think it's just because of athletics, but you saw that that soccer player at Vanderbilt that kicked that field goal for Vanderbilt, right? You saw that this year? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Super cool. Amazing. Super cool. Right? Did she did she kick a field goal? I'm trying to remember. Or did she did she 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 did something that she was told to do? Um, I don't know if it was like one of those little other kicks. Anyway, football's not my forte. I'm not gonna pretend it is. I leave that to them. I saw the highlight. Um, yeah, <laughs> but the hate that girl got online from the men was—I mean—that kind of stuff is whenever you step outside this little box that they want you in, and if you step outside, the hate and the vitriol—not just from men, but from women as well—that's what we've got to improve in society. We've got to be like, it's okay. Listen. This girl did exactly what she was supposed to do. Why are you hating on her? Her her team loves her, but it's just this continual. So she's, she's trailblazing as well, right? She's, she's one of those, if you can see it, you can be it. Cause my, my little girl, who's a crazy soccer football fanatic saw that and her eyes just lit up. She's like, Mm. are you telling me that I can go play football? And I'm like, yeah, if your mom would let you, but I don't think that's looking so good for you, honey. Well, they were That's so cool, out. though. Yeah, yeah, super cool. So, but I, I hear you, and um, yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, that's why sharing these stories and and getting more. Uh, but that trailblazing is hard work. Mm-hmm. That trailblazing is hard work, you know. Yeah, it's, and it's so, it's not for punks. It's not for punks. And 
it, it's hard because it's hard not to internalize it. Mm. Um, and again, that's where male allies who are not just allies, but who are advocates. And I'm really blessed right now. Like I, I'm telling you what, I, I've been at the Big Sky for 21 years and I, uh, the commissioner, Tom, who I think we, we discussed prior to going live on this, um, and his deputy, Dan, are <laughs> deputy Dan. Sorry, that cracks me up every time I say it because of um, Forrest Gump. But anyway, his deputy, Dan Setter, they are not only allies, but they are advocates for women and they are advocates for me. They have given me more opportunities than they really ever had. And it really takes um, the male voice and it shouldn't, but it does, right? Because this, we live in a society that was created for men and by men and, and all of that. And, and just to recognize that the voices of women in sport are, are invaluable and to recognize that we understand it. We're going to bring things to the table that you, that you don't bring to the table. And sure. And that's okay, and that's that's beautiful. And the more people you have at the table, the more voices you have at the table, the more successful you're going to be, as we discussed before. So having those allies, but also advocates that are going to, you know, say when when something like this happens, to stand up for the women and be like, dude, she just got in a Division One football game. Shut up. <laughs> she did exactly what she was supposed to do. And, you know, women can say it till they're blue in the face, but it needs to be men that, that step up and just like hold people accountable. And, and it kind of goes back with everything that's happening right now with, man, this is a, this podcast is just going all over the place, but it's with the whole, not all men, right? Like yeah. it's all about, it's, it's about standing up to the men that are problematic. And that's, that's where it starts. And it, it's with everything. It's not just with sexual assault. It's with how you treat women in the workforce, how you talk about women, things like that. So um, I think that uh, that's one of the best things we could have. And, and that's with Ben, my husband, as you well know, a huge advocate um, of mine. And I, I like to think I'm an advocate of his as well. It, it works both ways, but you know, I know you've got a daughter and you're an advocate of your wife. Um, you want them to have, we're not asking for, women are not asking for anything extra. We're asking for the same kind of opportunity. That's all we're asking for. We're not asking to get ahead of someone else just because we're female. We're asking for the same level of opportunities. And that's really what Title IX is, is about. Absolutely. Well, Janie, thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your perspective with us. And uh, have a great night. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is great. And that's it for the pod today. I want to thank Janie Nadolsky for coming on and sharing so much wisdom with us. Uh, as always, we want to thank Decker Yazi for our artwork, August the Great for our theme music, and my man, Dan Martinez, in the background, making this all happen, producing the show. Thanks, everybody. Go smash that subscribe button, share this episode with a friend, and keep on keeping on. Community Spread is a Deep State Media production. It's produced by me, Kevin Lundell, and directed and edited by Dan Martinez. 